sometimes human, sometimes animal, all conceived with extraordinary imagination and a wealth of expressive detail. Live more natural lives in their unnatural habitats. Becoming aware of nature, of natural details, and so forth. But whenever he can, he has to be ready to investigate the unexpected and unusual, because it may contribute to what he wants to know. We're talking about the sorts of things that had an impact in as much as they came from, from one part of the world and journeyed uh, to another and acted uh, in the mode of impact, impulse, influence, and so on. We want to him the man at the wheel who hurls the lance of his spirit across the earth along the circle of its orbit. I'd suggest that we should rather look for changing angles of vision. An inventive tradition which was able to handle with considerable equanimity a long list of wonders. Welcome, welcome. It's been a long time. It has been a very long time. Um, we're back with a new Administrism episode, and there's a lot of change going on. Hopefully that things are things are going to be going for the better now um you know i can throw out the same excuses as before you know life has been topsy-turvy and that kind of thing but i'm not going to get into that the only thing i will get into is moving forward i'm sure many of you love having zarina on here but she's unfortunately not able to dedicate the time that she that we need for future further episodes and as much as we're going to put out because she's going to school now so that's one of the big things that changed for us and why we haven't been able to put out an episode. She's going to school, and so it's basically just uh, me and who is now our new co-host on Administrism, who is going to dive in with us into the world of chaos magic-oriented neo-shamanism. And I would like to introduce you to Pythia. Hello. Hello, Pythia. Hi. So what, what can you tell us about yourself? Um, I am a person who dabbles in a lot of things, um, and I've been dabbling with the magics with you since 2020, um, on and off through our little, uh, Discord adventures, and, uh, before that I was a scientist, a hardcore materialist, and, um, some shit went down, so that's how I ended up on the magic path, um. I'm currently in Pittsburgh. It's a deranged environment, and I will probably say that several times. And um, I'm a bit of a nomad, so I, I my heart's in the desert, but my body's in the the Appalachian area at this point in time. Well, and that that helps out a lot, actually, because as as we've mentioned in past episodes, we kind of um, Zarina and I kind of live in an area that's very rural, whereas you saying that you're in Pittsburgh, you kind of have that more urban environment um, that we had we had tried to incorporate um, ideas into, like how to how to bring some of these ideas into an urban environment. So it's it's good that we can have someone with that background to try and help out with that. Yeah, this is definitely a different thing altogether. Um... I will say the spirits go crazy if a place has been urban too long. Right. Yes. And that was that was one thing that we kind of ran into before we moved to where we're at. We lived in the middle of downtown city. So um, going from there and out into a more rural environment is um, quite quite a shock in regards to like dealing with the genius loci, which is what we're trying to focus on here. But I like how having you as a co-host will help with the ideas of bringing in, you know, urban ideas rather than simply rural ones. Um, and like 
more ideas on like how to incorporate practices where certain things that are feasible for me aren't necessarily for you. Yeah. And now that now that you're with us, I would also like to mention that there are going to be quite a few changes that happen to our episodes moving forward. Um, having spoken with Pythia before we recorded today, like where there are some ideas that we want to start working and incorporating. One of them is like I had just briefly gone over the idea of incorporating ideas. So as as we had kind of laid the foundation or groundwork for in earlier episodes, we want to focus on ethnographies and the the words of the people who inhabit the lands that they perform their magic on. And we want a section where, like, after we're done going over the um, ethnography or the book written by those people, we want to introduce some ideas that we read from that that you can pull out for your own practice. So, like, if, say, the, I'm pretty sure I'd mentioned this before, like the Sami people of Northern Finland, their idea of, you know, when they go into their trance state, starting to draw a map of the spirit world on their drum. That's something that you could incorporate in your own practice and something that from reading ethnography, we could just go and like incorporate. Yeah, this is how, this is one thing that you can pull to do your own thing. Another section that we would like to have is a section kind of focused on homesteading or different practices that you can do at home where you become more reliant on yourself and kind of the the spirit of everything around you becoming more ingrained with your environment and the magic that you can do through these homesteading acts. And then finally, through Pythia's suggestion, is like every every episode we have at the at some point, we talk about a very specific plant and what it can do for you, what like some of the history of it is like what its magical properties are, what kind of properties it has in general, its physical or chemical properties. Was there anything, any other ideas that you kind of had for this? I say we just roll with it. Uh, that was a good start. And if things get incorporated letter, later, that's cool too. Hell yes. Hell yes. And is there, so with you, with you joining us now, is there anything that you're wanting to get out of administrism or that are like what, if there's not something that you want to get out of it, what have you gotten out of it so far? Surprisingly, this is going to sound stupid, but I miss the structure of grad school where you have to do 50 things and you have to get them all done by pretty much the same time. Without that, I have done absolutely nothing <laughs> with my life other than my paid hours. <laughs> uh, so I don't get to do like group projects. I don't get to have friends that we do a collective aim for. So that's kind of what I want to do with that. I want to get back into using my free time for something that's actually worthwhile. That's good. And you've you've been practicing administrism for a little while. You were starting with our episodes. You were one of the first people who went through the whole self-initiation. What was that like for you? That was a very interesting event. The event itself in the real world was stupid. It was, in hindsight, a bad idea, but it was one that needed to happen. Uh, the initiation itself, very on par with what I expected. So what I did was I hunted down one of those ayahuasca retreats, and I probably shouldn't have done it the way I did. It was basically, it was an ayahuasca crack house is how I will put that. <laughs> um, 
it's in the middle of fuck nowhere kentucky and in its <laughs> website it has beautiful mountains it was actually next to a um air force armory and um it was in an old daycare so it was oh, kind Jesus, of surreal just good vibes all around yeah 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 and the guy who led it he huh? was trying to pretend to be a shaman and a therapist but he was doing neither of these things very well um and so we all went through this collective experience together. It was pretty funny because you get to see other people going through basically the same chemical situation, but an entirely different headspace. Right. But I went through hell. I was dragged in and I was forced to face something I didn't even realize was a problem. And this comes from the 1980s where divorce got real popular and it was the first thing you went to for any problem. So I had to deal with my parents' divorce as an adult, which was weird. But that was what ayahuasca told me to deal with so that I could go on to be an initiated minister. I do not recommend this for many people. If you have any problems with your serotonin <laughs> reuptakes, if you've had Molly and it didn't go well and it makes you feel like shit, this is not for you. <laughs> you get help and get people around you that can handle it if you plan to do this kind of thing. It's it's good that you're giving warning about the ayahuasca and not so much the doing the ayahuasca in a daycare in Kentucky. That's that's good. That the, it's no joke. It can stop your heart if you have the wrong biochemistry. <laughs> no, no, I, yes, yeah. yes, I I I am very well aware of that. Yeah, it is it is something that you should very much pay attention and ingesting any chemical really. And this is. This is one thing, like, when we future episodes start talking about, like, different plants, like, it's going to be very important that anything, like, some of them, yes, you will inject, you, like, will suggest ingesting them, like, common plants, like, one that I commonly ingest here that grows around my property is, um, yarrow. Grows everywhere. But at the same time, like, yes, you can ingest these, but you should know what the chemical makeup of them are, you should know how it reacts to your body. You should you should know these things about yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't go screwing around unless you've already screwed around. Right, right. Very true. So, since becoming an administer, how has this kind of like given you a trajectory on your path? Well, it helped me establish who the the energy is in the place that I live. It also um, it really sets the tone for the next basically forty years of my life. Um, it's going to be not centered on the society as a whole, but more for where I am and how I can help in the location that I'm located in. Also, there's a lot to be done on the spirit realm. I can see that anytime anyone goes in there, you can see there's there's a lot of wreckage over there. Yes. And there's like you had already mentioned, there's there's a lot of fuckery that happens when it comes to like urban environments, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. So from there, I think it's a good point to start talking about what, what kind of book that we had read, what book that we had read before coming into this. And the title of it is How Forests Think Toward an Anthropology Beyond the Human by Eduardo Cohn. How did you feel about the book? I thought it was a really interesting thing, uh, a book in and, itself, in and of itself, because it's not like most ethnographies that they throw at you in college, uh, I did take the only one semester of anthropology, and the kind of stuff that they throw at you at that level is going to be more 
more basic. This it's going to be stuff like Margaret Mead's anthologies and um, anthropology writings and stuff. This is way more in depth. We are not describing their material conditions necessarily at this point. Right. We are describing the way they move through the world that they live in, which is a very important thing for administrism because they're paying attention to everything in the forest and they're paying attention to it like it's their community, not like it's a phenomenon they have to cope with. Right. Right. They're they're very much a part of this and like the the style that it was written kind of kind of did the same like as you had said like other ethnographies tend to be very formulaic they have like okay these are the people as one chapter this is their history as another chapter this is an entire chapter that's just statistical data this is another chapter that talks about their religious views this is a chapter that talks about their diet and so on and so on and so on whereas with this it kind of just like the way the people lived kind of reflected the writing in and of itself too because it seemed to have more of a natural flow to it it didn't have like things were chopped up and like scrutinized like you would in a formulaic you know traditional ethnography rather everything kind of told a story and was this it was it kind of reflected this like organism this organic kind of flowing to it that was yeah, reflective in the writing as well. And he, he circles back on things. He circles back on things so that when he has to reintroduce, he has to introduce a new concept to you. He puts it in the framework of a story he already told you so that you have a new perspective on that same event every time he introduces a new concept. Right, right. Um, yeah, and that was that was coming or he was doing the same like even towards the very end where he was like this the time I told you about this jury jury demon in chapter three or the time I told you about this in chapter two it reflects this way like it was it was very much building upon itself and it wasn't kind of like this this chopped up thing that you get from all other ethnographies which don't get me wrong is really really great for reference it is really great for referencing things and it has its place but Kind of like what he's trying to do with this book, along with how it's written, is, as the title says, it's like toward an anthropology beyond the human. So instead of focusing on the the people, it the book focused on the people and how they related to their environment. Like, yes, that is somewhat in somewhat covered in other ethnographies. Like, yeah, these these people live in this area and like they this is their diet and this is how they eat but with this it's saying like not it there's more of a relationship between them and how that relationship moves into semiotics or the study of symbolism or the study of symbols and how certain things in their environment are representative to them even so much as to like change their language where in the first chapter it talks about this one are like several different words they have that just represent the thing that's just kind of like an it's basically an onomatopoeia for certain things but there's there's no conjugation or anything there's no there's no transformation of these words it's just like okay so i think one of the examples was um chuck for like cutting down a tree so instead of saying like hey you go cut down the tree it'd be just like you chuck chuck and, and they'd understand that or like i chuck chuck the other day it's 
you understood exactly what that meant. So I thought that was that kind of semiotics was really interesting how that that symbol of performing a thing in the environment reflected how they influenced each other through their language. Yeah, and it was um it wasn't just the actions that they took into their own hands that were done like that. It was the things that the environment said back to them. So they had a word for the sound of the pig hitting the water. They had a word for the sound of uh, the monkeys running through the trees. And it was all the stuff that is those sounds as they would make them in their language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that was just absolutely fascinating to me since I like have studied the anthropology and linguistics, um, the the incorporation of nature into your language as well was just something that kind of blew my mind, and I, I absolutely adored about that. But yeah, and one thing that really struck me was towards the end of the book where it was discussing how the relationship to everyone else and their environment, the the thing that is like the most striking is when or the the idea that when someone dies the re, or and why death is so so striking amongst the living of amongst the living is that when someone dies like they perceive it as okay death is just a natural part of life it's something it's it's part of you know the life process you grow you you are born you grow you die which is obvious however that's it's part of a community and so because they're part of a community, like they, they consider themselves this, this us, we are this us, we are this people. And it's not until someone dies that they become an other. And in becoming the other, that is where the grieving lies, uh, because they are no longer part of the us. And reflecting on that, it kind of stems back to this idea that I've had for a very long time that the the reason why death is something that we are so like fearful of or are uncomfortable with in in western society like this is the minute someone dies someone someone comes and picks up the body and takes it away like it's you it's the person dies and they're sterilized they are picked up and taken away and you don't have to deal with all of the the gritty things the gritty aspects of death like it's all taken care of by other people like and even then like when the person dies they are made to look as alive as possible the entire circumstance of death has just kind of been removed from our society and i'm i blame it on the black death and capitalism Okay, and the reason the reasoning for that is Black Death. Um, I remember reading this book ages ago where it talked about the Black Death and how that was the first time really in European society that because there were so many people dying off, death was no longer a community thing. When you died, you had to face your death alone. It was a solitary thing, which is something that did that in in the book How Forests Think. Like, this is not how they deal with death. Like, a death to them is a community event. Someone is dying, like, they're surrounded by their friends, their loved ones, their family. Whereas, like, in European society since the Black Death, like, you you approach death as this is this thing that I have to face alone. And it kept doing that because there were several waves of the Black Death up until the 1700s. 
And then that's where the rise of capitalism comes from the French Revolution. And once the French Revolution came, that's where it kind of like solidified the concept of individual individuality as as a philosophical concept. And no more are you worried about like, okay, I need to take care of myself and my community and those people who rely on me, who are who extend past my family. No. That was that was the rise of the mental concept of fuck you, I've got mine. Yeah, and there's also the fact that we're not allowed to grieve at all. We're not allowed to process dying. Um, once we stop being productive in the work environment, we are considered basically dead weight until we come back. Uh, there's also, um, I want to say the Civil War played a big part in this because that's where you get uh, spiritualism pops up because so many people died and their bodies could not be mourned. Nothing could be done in-house. And um, the collective grieving in that situation, that's where we get our embalming practices from. That's where we get a lot of our funeral practices also. And it's a way to push back on something that you can't push back on. And we just cannot cope with it, especially in the Western world. Um, there's nothing here for us to guide us through it, to be perfectly honest. Um, we are so repulsed by it that we don't really want to engage with it on the daily life. Uh, that's why I used to be a vegan. I didn't want to... Uh, be a hand of death to other things but I have come around to the fact that that's going to have to happen for me but that death always behind you and the way that we avoid it has just become the norm and it's just not normal and that's probably why we have a lot of scared people running around right now no that's I I very much agree with that um yeah it, and now that you mention it 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 is kind of the the entire um the entire industry of death in the western world very much still feels like now now that you had mentioned it like the last hang up, hanging on of the victorian era yeah it's because even though even though there's still you know a lot of you know things have evolved to everything as a business now where almost like what is it like 70 to 80% of all funeral homes in the united states are owned by one company Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> I know that company. Yeah. Now yeah, I applied for a job there once. It's um, what it, I think it's like SCI Funerary. They all have that dumb tree as their logo. They all have different names, yeah. but it's that dumb tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's good. You could you could find the fucking blood suckers from from the the fucking tree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's interesting. Like I, it hadn't really occurred to me that yeah, that's kind of like the last Victorian kind of mentality that we hang on to things and yeah with the rise of spiritualism um because yeah it was it was at the same time that you had with the victorian era this um this obsession with death um but it was it was an obsession of like i want to learn it so that i can keep it away um like everyone was mourning everyone was wearing black thanks to you know Queen Victoria being in mourning for his for her entire life. This Administrum podcast is brought to you by Corporate Funeral Services. 
At Corporate Funeral Services, we'll handle the death of your loved one with the formulaic precision of a business that's as cold, emotionless, and sterile as the corpse of your loved one. Each of our cookie-cutter facilities will provide your dearly departed with as much taste and dignity as AI-generated porn. In your time of distress, we'll have you in and out with the turn-and-burn efficiency you deserve, probably. And above all, we promise never to throw any bodies into that pit we dug on the adjacent property or to have sex with them more than once. Corporate Funeral Services Company. We're basically a meat market, located at every interstate junction on Highway 40 throughout Oklahoma. Um... So yeah, that's, it's those, okay. So yeah, those three things now I've, I've added, um, the fucking Victorian era to my reasons why our perceptions of death is all fucked up. Yeah. And I, in the server, I'd said something in passing that I think about a lot. Um, the, this is going to sound ridiculous and repulsive to a lot of people, but ritualized cannibalism can't be stopped. So if you really want to get back in touch with it, no one can stop you from snorting cremains. <laughs> well, yes, as long as you're doing like endocannibalism, that's fine. Like ex exocannibalism, that's that's frowned on. You don't want to do that, but. Like, yeah, ri ritual cannibalism, that's that's fine as long as you stay away from the central nervous system because no one wants a prion, prion disease. I think I think the cremators get that, that protein down to nothing, but it's still pretty risky. It's still a horrible disease. Right. You probably should not do rails of a dead relative. Probably not. Don't you tell me how to deal with my pet rabbit. <laughs> I well no you you probably wouldn't get that pro because I don't think it's communicable between rodents and humans. No, just it's like not. there's there, there you go. So, yeah, yeah, you can fucking rail your bunny all you want. <laughs> no phrasing. <laughs> uh, shit. Anyway, so I think I think from that aspect, especially like with with the um with the death and becoming one with the community, I think it's important because like, yeah, you, you had already said, like we have, we have gotten to a point where with, within our society where you're not allowed to grieve. This is something that's happening at my, um, at my job right now. There's this one person who's been working for us for, or working in my department for like eight or nine years. And she's really good at her job, but she's been struggling to keep up numbers recently because her dad is in hospice. And my, our supervisor had basically told her, like, you need to be able to get your numbers up or, like, you're going to have to either leave, like, you're going to have to retire or whatever, or you're going to have to find a new job or move to another department because you can't work here. It's like that. Yeah, it's like, can you just, like, develop maybe for just a a small amount of time a fucking soul just just a little bit like jesus see managers are also they're held liable to their managers but they don't want to be in the position to do this shit to people right yeah it's it's fucking ghoulish it is it absolutely is and like i don't i don't know how to 
how to approach that other than, you know, like, you know, as an individual, become more accustomed to death. Try and because this is this is one thing that myself in order because I had I had lost a couple people of several years ago and in order for me to kind of cope with it I performed this anathema thing where for a few years I just worshipped death and I became very in tune with death and I talked to death a lot and I became very comfortable with death and it was it was something that like helped change me because I there was this due to my culture aspect of my of myself that I had been pushing back and pushing back like you had said like it's it's pushing back against something you can't push against but you're trying your damnedest to but this this helped me evolve and realize like no this is just something that's going to happen and I mean granted my my humor had gotten a lot darker since then but I don't I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing like the other day my my mother, I was speaking to her, and she was like, yeah, what did we say when, you know, what did they always say? Like, oh, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. And I'm like, listen here, Mom. Don't threaten me with a good time. Like, if you're going to do it, do it. Like, it's, my, my humor's gotten a little darker on that aspect, but I realize that death is, is a thing that happens, and it's just, it's nothing you can push against. So I think, like, the, the only way that you should, like, kind of come to terms with this is just perform an anathema around death um become close to death like i'm not i'm not suggesting that everyone start wearing black and listen to the cure and the smiths like immediately but maybe maybe like go to goodwill and buy yourself some like black t-shirts or something i don't know like whatever you think is going to help you move forward on your process of accepting that aspect of life, because it's, it, I don't, I'm, I'm a non-dualist, but there is life and then there is death. It, it is a dual aspect, but I don't, I don't think life is pervasive as a thing throughout the universe, sort of whatever. It's, I'm not getting into that now, but yeah, it's, it's something that you kind of have to familiarize yourself with and like, kind of like, I'm not suggesting the same with you either. Pythia, how like everyone just give up veganism and start just chugging meat. That was forced on me. That change <laughs> was do it or die. So there's that's, stories behind that. But that's that's fair. Um, yeah. But like I'm not suggesting everyone like abandon vegetarianism or veganism or whatever. But like realize that even with your diet on an industrial level like it's leading to the death of many things yeah um, i have to cope with that <laughs> yeah like there's there are animals that live in the fields that get run over by combines there are like there are rodents that get fucking poisoned who come too close to our food stores like it there's there's death there's going to be death in order for you to be alive something must die and this isn't to be like degrading or belligerent about it but respect the plants too maybe i mean that i don't care about the screaming of the carrots that's such a shitty way to approach this but the plants they do die for you. They do deserve a little bit of respect for what they are doing so that you can continue to do what you are doing. Um, that's something that is also missing in veganism. There's a lot of 
love for the plants, but not actual love for the plants. Right. And I, I think that's, um, that kind of ties into like what we're, what we're going to be reading for the next episode. Um, you, you instantly reminded me of this, this one part. Um, it's about, which we'll get into it the next episode, but very, very briefly, it, it talks about the Nahua people of central Mexico. And, um, they, they believe that, you know, corn is the most vital thing to their life. And so before they ever eat corn, before they offer anything, they put, they throw some back into the earth. Like, because they recognize that, you know, they had to harvest this corn and this corn is taking care of them and the earth and vicariously, the earth is taking care of them. So in order for us to be fed, they need to feed the earth as well. Yeah, that is a beautiful ritual, um, especially around corn. Cor surprisingly, corn is one of the few plants I can eat and not have a problem with. But the way that it is tied to humans and civilization and just the continuance of our own species, we should be giving reverence to it every chance we get. And I'm surprised we I'm don't, not, to be honest. I'm not entirely convinced that we weren't domesticated by corn. There's there's that. There's also that. Sometimes plants get the better of an animal. And yeah, that's something that needs to be looked at also. Like, fuck, in, in the United States, at least, everything has fucking corn syrup in it. Um, so there's that. Like corn wants to survive, and that's great because, like, that. So the um, my bird feeders, like some of the bird seed that I have in it, has cracked corn, and yet still, corn will rise from those cracked mm -hmm. germs. It like, will. It's it is amazingly pervasive. That and all the goddamn millet. There's so much millet. <laughs> my porch is covered in it right now. <laughs> Yeah, my the entire periphery of my house is either goldenrod or millet. <laughs> uh, get some, um, throw some quinoa out there. The birds like that too. And it, it has a, wait, it, nope, it's too hot where you're growing. I just yeah. realized it's way too hot where you're at for quinoa. But there are amaranths that will work and the birds love that shit. Yes, and I, I have a friend who, like we had interviewed on the old podcast, who... Amaranth is one of her, her fucking like spirit plants. That is one that she is very, very close to. So much so, in fact, that she gave her daughter the middle name Amaranth. Um. Yeah, that's that is dedication to a Aww, plant. That's beautiful. Like, yeah, it's a. Yeah, it is. Like she, um, that was that was the plant that she like gave her daughter to live with. Um, and it's it's a lovely plant i fucking love amaranth but like she has lots of and we'll probably have her on this show again because she knows more about apart from you um she knows like the most about plants than anyone else i know yeah i think i know who you're talking about but i'm not gonna say just in case i'm wrong and ruin the whole file um <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, they come at it from more of a cottage angle and it's a more, yep. their version of it is way more intimate. Mine's very clinical at this point in time still, uh, but I do really appreciate uh, what they're doing with plants. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like she's, she's definitely someone that I would love to have on here again, especially with um, 
Because during the during the last or on the last show, like how she had given tips about how to commune with plants, which she does all the time. Like I've gone on walks with her and everything, and we whenever we go around to walk on her like ninety nine acre property, she would always stop at certain places and say like and give greetings to plants. Like there was there's one that I I can recall is an elder, an elder bush. Oh yeah. And she she calls her Mama Elder, and she will go up and she she gives her greetings to Mama Elder and thanks her for everything. And she's like, "It's the only elder or the only elder that's growing on this property." So of course, like, yes, I have to give my thanks to her. It's like yes, like she's she's very communed with her environment, and like I think that fits in a lot with what we're trying to do with administrism is becoming that like understanding that genius loci and like bringing that into our own practice like giving um we had talked about this in a couple episodes before i think it might have been the first episode or the second one which there are only three but whatever four now but the the idea with the from the book on the navajo giving names to everything everything has a fucking name name everything <laughs> give give things names personalize them you become closer to them when you realize that they do have a spirit they do have an energy they do have a consciousness that you can work with. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and also I want to add to that because we're going to be taking on from myself a scientific angle with plants and from other people a spiritual angle with plants. I want to let people who are inspired to do this stuff know that um, just because someone has a good experience with a plant doesn't mean necessarily you will, too. It's just like that new friend in a circle not everyone's going to get along with the same people at the same time or in the same way. Right. No, that's that definitely makes sense. Like there, there are some plants that I have a large collection of dried herbs and plants, but some of them just don't really jive with me all that much. Like one example is there are a lot of people I know who are very in like in tune or come across like with a lot of respect or usefulness out of mullen. I don't I don't use mullen ever. Like it just kind of sits on my shelf. I have mullen. It grows around my property. There's a lot of mullen around, but I just don't do anything with mullen. It's we just see each other in passing, really. Yeah, it smells like bleach to me. I'm not into it. Yeah. It's yep. uh, like I I can think of one use for it. Like it's it's been used by certain indigenous people in order to just like poison fish. You could throw you can throw mullen into water, which I don't recommend doing. I did not condone doing this l on a legal basis because it is technically illegal to do, even though it's a legal plant. Even though whatever, you're not technically legally allowed to poison fish in order to catch them. Unless it's your own property. If it's your own property, you can do that. That's fine. They're your own stockfish. But if you're in, like, state grounds or whatever, don't throw mullen in the water. But if you're on your own property, fuck it, do it. You can throw mullen in the water, and it will, like, paralyze the nervous system of the fish. And so they'll just rise to the surface, and you can gather up all the fish you want. I'm thinking yeah, that's the only damn use. it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, mullen no, doesn't smell fine. like bleach. No. That's <laughs> it. It's fine, like, I get it, because, like, but, like, Zarina fucking loves cilantro, and it tastes like how stink bugs smell to me. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking gross. Like, it's not that, like, everyone who says they hate mugwort, or not mugwort, see, now you have me doing shit. Yep. Um, everyone who says that they hate cilantro tastes like, or says that it tastes like soap, or it tastes like metal. 
No, it doesn't. To me, it tastes like how stink bugs smell. Interesting. And it's fucking disgusting. I don't have the receptor for stink bugs, so I have no idea what they smell like, but I do have the soap receptor for cilantro, but I love it. So I'm now I'm thinking about the genetics so, on that. So do you you love the soap taste? I can't taste it doesn't taste like soap to me, but I have the gene that says I would be tasting oh. it as soap. Okay. So it doesn't I register. Thought, like, Cause like that just made me think like, yeah, when I wash my dishes, I just don't rinse them. Yeah. Because I love it just start looking. I just them. love that flavor so much. I wait till everyone goes to bed. <laughs> I have myself a fucking dawn cocktail. Uh. <laughs> God. But yeah, so um, I don't. Yeah, there's there's plants that you're going to commune with. There are plants that you're going to get in in touch with that just work for you. They don't they don't work for everyone. Um, yeah, there there are some plants that just don't don't jive with me, and that's that's fine. Find the ones that do, because um, there there are fucking lots of them. Oh yeah, like there you can. There are so many plants. In fact, if you're getting started, I honestly do recommend starting with aeroids. Uh, that's going to be your philodendrons, your monsteras, um, all the viney things that you can get for like a dollar off of a discount rack. They make good wards. And so if you need a space to be protected, you can fill it with golden pothos and that thing's going to work out for you. And it pretty much works for everyone, that particular group of plants. And that's a good starting point for that exploration. Good, good. That's a that's a really good tip. Yeah, most or a lot of the ones that grow around here, like I've I've said, like there's yarrow. I use yarrow a lot. It grows like a like fucking crazy in my driveway. My driveway is just covered in yarrow. But there's a lot of goldenrod. Um, we have some echinacea that's growing, and they're all in the same area. And then there's a rose bush that won't fucking die. Is it a is it a knockout rose or is it a wild rose? I don't fucking know. It's an asshole. It's an, it's ass- an asshole. Okay. Yeah. It's just, like okay. We we cut the thing. We cut the thing down and tried pulling it out, but it's there's there's too much. We couldn't pull it out, so we just kept trying to kill it. But it keeps growing back, and part of the reason that it's an asshole is I have an open porch, and, like, I have friends who get drunk and shit, and, like, this thing will reach out and grab you. Like, these these thorns will just reach out across the porch and wrap themselves around. It's an asshole. Okay. It is a shitty plant. Yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, it's a, it's a shitty plant. It is awful. I also have a lot of walnuts that are growing everywhere thanks to the goddamn squirrels that won't leave my house alone. <laughs> you need more cats. Yeah, that's what Zarina keeps telling yep, me. Yep, you don't have enough cats yet. You need about four more. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> I, I really hope she doesn't hear you say that because we, we already have two right now. And, like, as as much as I love cats... Like having outdoor cats, I don't like. I don't like being responsible for small ecological disasters. They'll usually like go they, for a they, mouse before they'll go for a bird, though. Just just to help with that, I know that they are very damaging, but that's mostly in urban environments where they do that damage. All right. Yeah. So you've convinced me somewhat that we should get a barn cat. Barn cats are pretty fun. Just make sure they're fixed. 
Yes. Well, that yeah, that goes without saying. Yeah. That, but yes. But yes. And on that, I think I think that's a good place to stop for this for this episode. Just bringing okay. things back. So, what to expect from the next one? As I had already previously mentioned, we will be reading the book "Corn Is Our Blood." by Dr. Sandstrom. I forget his first name, even though I actually had him as a professor. So oh boy. funny that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he lived with the Nahua people in central Mexico for about a decade. So we're going to be reading through that book and talking about that and going over a lot of what we talked about here with, you know, respect for plants and being part of one's environment. And like I said, we're going to be incorporating ideas, how to bring some of their practice into your own, some tips on homesteading things, which I, I have an idea for what we can talk about with, with some homesteading acts. Um, do you have any idea of what kind of plant you want to talk about next episode? Mapacho. Ooh. Very that easy. That sounds familiar. Yeah, well, I, it okay. should. I sent you some. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, that's that's where it sounds familiar. Yeah, that's where that's familiar. <laughs> Mapacho is a, the wild tobacco, but it's a land race of ah. it. Oh, okay. Yep. So, awesome. Well, I think that's that should wrap up this episode. Thanks for joining us on our new revamped administrism. I will give everyone their you know, their their kind words to Zarina and she she may come back for future episodes depending on whether or not she has the time to do so. But for right now, we're just going to move forward and try and put out as many episodes as we can at a much more reasonable rate than about one or two a year. Trying to shoot for a little more than that. So yeah. And thank you for joining us, Pythia, and continuing with us on this journey. Thank you. All right. See y'all later. Bring up new... You son of a bitch.